Join or said, I am a visitor myself. I don't feel like I'm a visitor, but I, I am a visitor, and I appreciate uh, this congregation very much. Um, as was mentioned, this is a congregation that, that does support me in my evangelistic work. I've been doing the work of an evangelist for uh, some, somewhere about 20 years. I, I don't keep track of time as well as I should probably, but it's been in that ballpark. I've, the Lord has blessed me to, to be able to serve in that capacity, and it, it's, I count it a tremendous blessing. And I'm able to do that uh, to the extent that I am because of this congregation and congregations like this that, that help me and support me financially to do that. And that's a great uh, blessing to me. Um, in the big scheme of things, I'm irrelevant, uh, but the gospel is everything. And so more than your support of me, I appreciate your support of evangelism, of the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's, that's, what it, that's where it's at, that's what it's about, and that's what's really important. And so I appreciate this congregation's dedication and commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, uh, I've chosen to study uh, a, a topic that I put together uh, Recently, I titled the study, God is Greater Than All. Uh, locally, we were going through uh, some, some challenges in our community and around us. And, and sometimes, as was mentioned uh, before our prayer list, you know, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of great things going on. But in this world, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard things going on. And there's a lot of uh, evil that we're surrounded by day in and day out. And, and at times, if we're honest, that can just be discouraging. And at times... Uh, nearly overwhelming. You know, sometimes those, those terrible things, they happen and we see them on the news and, and, and it might be a little discouraging and then sometimes they hit real close to home and then sometimes they hit in our home. Uh, and, and so the degree of the severity of that and the, and the difficulty of that challenge can vary. Uh, and uh, I put the study together with those types of thoughts in mind, and it, and it really doesn't matter the specific events or challenges that we had going on when I was, when I was thinking about these things, because those, those things are common to all of us, are common to all humanity. And so I believe that the study in the morning can be beneficial to all of us when we recall and we keep close in, in, at the forefront of our minds the reality of the statement that, that we uh, have up on the board and we allow that to fuel us, to strengthen us, and to steady our hearts and our minds uh, during, uh, Lord willing, it looks like the Lord's going to let us uh, live another year, perhaps, uh, not, but we're rolling into a new year, and lots of opportunities in that, if, if the Lord wills and we live and time continues. Um, and so, uh, I encourage you this morning to keep these things in mind that we study and, and let them fuel you and let them strengthen you. And I want to begin uh, with a passage out of John chapter 10 and verse number 25. I'll try to have most of the scriptures up here on the screen this morning, but if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, certainly encourage you to do that. But we're going to begin reading in John chapter 10 and verse number 25. And so the context of this passage, if you're not familiar with, with John chapter 10, is that uh, the, the Jewish leaders uh, have come to Jesus and they have demanded of him a clear answer. They say, tell us plainly whether you're the Christ. That's what they want to know. That's what they've presented him with. They say, no more of these, you know, parable type things. No more of this shrouded in mystery type thing. Just tell us plainly whether you're the, the Christ, whether you're the Messiah, whether you're the one. They wanted him to answer that question. Um, and Jesus, I believe what we see here is Jesus answering that question in the affirmative, yet in a way that continues to frustrate these individuals. And, and he does that 
for a purpose that he reveals in this answer. But let's reveal, I, I'm basically, I just want to take this one thought out of this passage, and I, and I don't want, intend to do any kind of violence to the context, but there's this idea introduced in this passage, and that's what I want to center our thoughts around this morning. The Bible says there in John chapter 10 and verse number 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. And so that's his response to this, tell us plainly whether or not you're the Christ. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And so what he presents to them as evidence of his claim is the miracles that he's done. He says, I have done these mighty works in your presence, and that bears witness of me. That tells you who I am, what I am, where I came from. And that's the evidence that he puts out there for them. He says, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and my Father are one. And so for those of us that are followers of Christ, that are disciples of Christ, this statement that Jesus makes ought to be a statement of comfort. It ought to be a statement of strength and assurance. And there's many challenges and there's many temptations as we go through this life. And at times those can seem discouraging or overwhelming, but we need to remember the greatness of our God and what's presented here. And Jesus says how great God is. And no one is able to snatch his sheep out of his Father's hands. And so we need to keep in mind the greatness, the power of God, and we need to understand that at the core, at the root of all temptation, is ultimately for us to abandon faith and to stop acting on faith and act on something else. Whether that be fear or, or you plug in whatever you may, but the root of all temptation is for us to abandon faith. And that is how the tempter works. And so we need to, to be aware of that and we need to remember the greatness of God. So I want to begin by noticing the greatness of God in this context immediately that, that Jesus has put forth, that God's greater. Anyone that would try to take one of, one of the sheep out of the fold is an enemy. It's the enemy of the cross, it's the enemy of Christ, an enemy of God. And God is greater than any and all enemies. And that's where I want us to, to remember and to start. In John 4, verse number 4, 1 John 4, excuse me, verse number 4, he says, You are of God, little children. And have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so the scripture puts forth very clearly that our adversary is the devil. That he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he that's in us is greater than him that's in the world. God is greater than Satan. He's greater than our adversary. And Satan can't take you of his own will out of the fold. He can't do that. The danger lies in you leaving the fold. Free will. You have a choice. You have a decision to make every day with every choice. Will I act? Will I walk by faith or will something else govern me? Will some other emotion, will some other feeling, will some other knowledge guide me or will it be faith? He's greater than he is in the world. Sometimes those forces of evil seem great. And I want to look at another verse in John chapter 8, verse number 44, where Jesus is rebuking. Some of those Jews of the day, he says, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So 
as we consider our adversary, the devil, then we begin to realize that it's not just the devil that's our adversary. But there are many who do the will of the devil. Some do it knowingly, actively. Some do it ignorantly, without knowing. But whatever the case is, these individuals are aligned with the devil. Jesus put it quite simply in Luke chapter 11, verse number 23. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so there's a very clear line drawn in the sand. And it's not drawn by me. I didn't put it there. Jesus Christ drew that line. And he said, if someone's not with me, then they're against me. And again, some, many people don't actively make that choice and say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be against Christ. But because they aren't with Christ, that's where they land when it comes to the reality and the nature of that line. And so our enemies are great in number. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. <coughs> Pardon me. And so that's one of the discouraging parts of the battle that we face. Because we tend to operate off of worldly logic, of, of carnal, simple statistics and math and things like that. And we look out around us and we run the numbers and when we just do that, then the chance of discouragement is great because you go, how can we win? How can this fight, how can so few do something against so many? And we forget the simple concept that God is greater. He's greater than not only our adversary, the devil, but then all enemies. And so that includes each one individually and all of them collectively. And that's the point that I'm making is that God is greater than all. In Revelation 17 and verse number 14 he says, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. And so the victory has been won, and the victory will be won. And God is greater than all of our enemies. And so don't allow discouragement to mount. Don't allow the temptation that's there to abandon faith and act on something else because of the volume and the magnitude, and the severity, and all these things, because the bad can certainly pile up. And I don't want to come in here and be all negative on Christmas Day, because it's a positive message, because that's what we're talking about. God is greater than all. He's greater than all of our enemies. And that ought to strengthen us, and that ought to encourage us. One of the areas that God is greater in, one of many, and obviously we, have, we don't have time to be exhaustive this morning, but God's greater in His thought and in His purpose. And we'll do well to remember that each and every day because that helps maintain and provide us with the humility that we need to walk properly before God. And it helps us uh, from diverging onto paths of worldly wisdom and, and logic and things like that in what we set out to do. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 6, there's some verses in the middle of this that we're probably all familiar with. We probably will recognize as we read those and go, I've heard those verses before. And a lot of times we take those verses a little bit out of the immediate context that they're given in. And so that's why I want to read a few more verses this morning out of Isaiah 55, verse number 6. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And I want to pause right there for a second because I want to notice a few things. He says, 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man is not, and let him return to the Lord. The teachings of, of Calvinism and the idea of people are either good people or they're bad people are so prevalent. And they, they even get into our own thoughts and our own minds. And we have this idea that, that it's this dichotomy, that there's, there's evil people and there's good people. And yes, there's evil people. And yes, there's people who are generally, from what we can observe, good. But notice this. He's, there's these wicked individuals, these unrighteous individuals, they're called upon to forsake those ways and return to the Lord. And what it says is if they do that, then he'll have mercy and he'll have pardon. We need to remember God's purpose and his plan and his desire. That's what God wants. He wants anyone and everyone who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing to turn away from that, to forsake that, to repent. And if they do that, he'll have mercy and he'll have pardon. And that's our God. And now we go to verse number 8, which is probably the ones that we're familiar with, probably the ones we, we have memorized. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so those verses are given in the context of God's abundant mercy and pardon, that he's willing to abundantly pardon and have mercy. And we need to remember that that's, that's the God that we serve, and that's his purpose, and those are the kind of thoughts that he has. That's the mind of, of the Lord. Now, continuing in verse number 10, he says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and it may give bread to the eater, so shall my word be that it goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And we need to remember that too, because sometimes we get a little discouraged in our evangelistic mission and we say, nobody wants to hear, nobody wants to listen, and that is false. That's just false. None of our labor in the Lord is in vain. And God's word will accomplish what he sent it for. And it will prosper in the thing for which he sent it. And we need to remember that and have confidence in that. He's greater in thought and in purpose than we are. And we need to remember that. And he's willing to abundantly pardon and have mercy in Psalms chapter 92 and verse number 5, the psalmist said, O Lord, how great are your works. Amen. How great are his works. Your thoughts are very deep. Sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we start thinking that we're pretty smart and that we have some things figured out. And we need to walk in humility before God and remember that we don't compare. As the heavens are higher than the earth, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts than our thoughts so many passages that address this and ought to cause us to humble ourselves before the Lord. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. Let's not be foolish. Let's not underestimate the Lord. Let's not even consider this foolish idea that's circulated so popularly in the world that maybe God didn't think of something. Maybe he didn't see something coming. That's ridiculous. When the wicked spring up like grass... And when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forevermore. Sometimes we see that part of that and we see the wicked great in number and seeming to prosper and seeming to flourish. And that's a source of discouragement for us. But when we look at the psalmist here, he looks at that and he takes that worldview in through the lens of God being greater and God being in control and God's purpose and God's will still being done. And we ought to as well. In Psalm 40, in verse number 5, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us 
cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. That's a pretty amazing statement because God is so much greater in thought, so much greater in understanding, so much greater in wisdom. And he has thoughts that are very deep, that surpass ours, that are past finding out, that are unsearchable, the scripture says, but not just about great and grand things that don't pertain to, specifically pertaining to you and to me, that he has thoughts toward us that can't be numbered. And we need to remember that. And we need to be strengthened by it. In connection with God's purpose and God being greater in purpose, we need to remember that God is greater than all of humanity in judgment and injustice. Because that's one of our sources of discouragement, isn't it? Because we look out amongst the world and we say, where's the justice sometimes? And we, have the, we say liberty and justice for all in this country, but yet we look out and we oftentimes don't observe what we think or we assume or what we understand to be justice. I think it can comfort us and keep our minds and our hearts in the right place when we remember this simple truth, that God is greater than you or me or any human counsel that's ever existed in judgment and injustice. In James 1 and verse number 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we need to remember that because a lot of times we see the evil in the world and the bad things happen and our mind wants to get started on those wheels of justice as we see it and how justice ought to be executed and carried out. And one of the most popular entertainment genres for men is the revenge type movies where someone's wronged and the, the rest of the movie is revenge and judgment and justice being carried out by man. And we need to remember that simple truth in God's word, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice what he says, that statement, and don't be overcome with evil. Why would he say that in that context right there? Because that's a very real possibility. It's a very real temptation. How might one be overcome with evil? By dwelling on thoughts of revenge, by, by seeking out vengeance, and by allowing the wrath of man to come out in their lives. Remember that Jesus prayed for forgiveness of those who were actively executing him. And that's a high standard. When bad things happen, be careful what you allow to occupy your mind. Remember Philippians 4, verse number 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And you won't be able to do that if you watch the news all day long. You just won't be able. And I don't care which flavor of news you like. And we have to be careful where we allow our minds to make camp and what occupies our mind. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse number 8, speaking of the return of Christ, he says he will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. God's going to take care of it. He's going to make it right. And in the meantime, our concern ought to be God's thought and his purpose and making his purpose our purpose in this life. In Jude chapter 1, and verse number 7, he says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in, in similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance 
of eternal fire. And God doesn't need our help in vengeance. Genesis 18.25, if you remember the bargain that Abraham tended to make, he's speaking to God, he says, <coughs> pardon me, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And, and, and Abraham's pleading with God, and he says, surely you wouldn't. Surely you wouldn't be guilty of, of injustice. Yes. And he was right in that. He just, his thoughts were nowhere near God's thoughts. His level of understanding, his level of knowledge was nowhere near what God's was. And God was patient with him and long-suffering with him. And he let him come toward that understanding. And he let him, he let him act on that. But Abraham recognized correctly that the judge of all the earth was going to do right. And he did, and he has, and he will continue. In Psalm 7, verse number 11, he says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. And so we don't need to misunderstand and think that all the terrible things that are going on, that God's okay with those things. Because that's certainly not the case. That's not the point that I'm making to you this morning. We don't need to confuse the long-suffering of God with tolerance. His will is that whosoever would, that any that would, would repent. They would turn from their wicked way, that the unrighteous man would forsake his way and his thoughts, and he would return to the Lord. And that needs to be our desire, too, and know that, that God is not tolerant of that evil and of that sin. In Romans 2, verse number 2, he says, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. And a lot of times we don't know that about the judgment of man. We think we, think we, we get a little bit of gossip, and we think we know the whole story, and we're ready to pass and execute judgment. We're ready to render a verdict. And we need to be careful and not be foolish. The judgment of God's according to truth. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. There's no secret thing that he doesn't know. And so when he renders a verdict, when he makes a judgment, we know that it's right. We know that it's true. And we can count on that. He says, do you think this, O oh man, who judge those that practice such things and do the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and a day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to him. We can take comfort in that, and we can rest in that, that the righteous judgment of God is coming. In 2 Timothy 4, verse number 8, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so when we talk about the judgment of God, I focused on the, the wrath and the vengeance of the judgment of God, but there's, a, there's another, the, the other side of that coin, isn't there? The judgment of God, for some, will be a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me on that to all those who love his appearing. You know, I remember the passage in Revelation, I believe it's Revelation chapter 6, where they, those that have been slain for their work in the Lord's vineyard, they, they cried out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you not avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And the Bible says that when white robes were given to every one of them, and they were said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. And so that feeling... That desire that we have, that, that longing for the Lord to make everything right is not new. It's not, it doesn't originate with us. It's been around for a long time. And many that have gone on before us in the faith have had that desire. And they say, how long, O oh Lord? How much longer is it going to be? And essentially the answer that they were given was that the Lord is going to take care of that in his time. He had his timeline. He had everything under control. And their instruction was to take comfort. 
to rest. And we can learn from that. And we can take comfort and we can rest in that same truth and that same knowledge that they have. <clears throat> God's greater than our fear. Genesis 15 and verse number 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And so we go back to the beginning, the, the, the forefather, uh, the, the, the father of the faithful Abraham. He's told him, don't be afraid. That's what God told him. We go uh, to the Psalms, to King David. In Psalm 27, verse number 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord's greater than our fear. But we have a choice to make there. In Matthew 10, verse number 28, Jesus put this choice out before us. He said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And we have a choice to make every day concerning fear and where we're going to place our fear. In 2 Timothy 1, verse number 7, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, and yet so many are governed by fear. But where does it come from? He says, But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so this morning, I'm going to wrap up the study where I began it. The gospel is everything. And God's brought to light, brought to life, he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And that's the temptation that we have is to be afraid, to hide, to run away from a fight. That phrase, do not be afraid, that's some 50 times that we could go. Lots of verses that we could go and we could study and we could read this morning, but that's what God puts out there for. He's greater than all of our enemies. And he's greater in thought and in purpose, and he's greater in judgment and in justice, and he's greater than all of our fear. And we serve a great and powerful God. And the gospel is what's most important. And that's what can keep us from being governed by the spirit of fear. Knowing that we have an inheritance with the faithful. Knowing that come what may in this life, that the one who's able to destroy body and soul in hell has promised a crown of life to the faithful. And that's the encouragement, that's the admonition that I leave with you this morning as you go through the remainder of the day, that you'll take hope and comfort in those things. And Lord willing, as we go into a new year, that we'll go into the new year bold, strong, courageous, renewed, in vigor for the Lord, in purpose, in focus on what really matters, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to win fights and we're going to make a difference for good in this world, it'll be through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you and I, I thank you and I appreciate you for your dedication to Jesus Christ. And this morning, we sang the song earlier, It's Well With My Soul. And that's the question that I leave with you as we wrap up because we never like to close the service without extending the Lord's invitation. And that invitation is that you can come to him. That's what God wants. And if you can't honestly and earnestly say this morning, it's well with my soul, then we want to assist you. We want to aid you however we can. If you need to put on Christ in baptism so that you can truly and earnestly say it's well with my soul, then we want to assist you. If you've done that, and for whatever reason, you can't say it's well with my soul. We're here to serve one another in love. And it's Christmas, but none of us are in that big of a if you have a spiritual need. Please let that be known by having a seat on one of these front pews while we stand and sing the song's been selected.